This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Despite the hype surrounding virtual assistants like Alexa or Google Home, a fully digital home isn't a reality quite yet. But can we prepare our homes for the future to avoid tearing down walls later? How can we invest in home technology without worrying it'll be obsolete in two or three years? Ben Williams, Technical Director at SAV Digital Environments, sat with Ledge to chat about the challenges of building future-resistant control systems and keeping them up and running under any circumstances. Ben also talks about the next big thing in the software side of custom integration and smart buildings, as well as some lessons learned from managing hardware engineering teams. Hey, Ben, good to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So maybe give you know your two, three-minute background story uh, of you and your work, and then we'll, we'll jump into some, uh, some chats about tech. Sure. Uh, my background is originally in mechanical engineering and commercial fishing. So I moved out to Bozeman four years ago and got into the CI industry. Thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So I did everything I could to get my foot in the door. Started working as a design engineer for a company out here. And it's been a huge, huge learning experience, uh, learning the, the technical details of CI and also the details of organization, keeping that on. So I run the design department for an AV company in Bozeman. And my primary focus has been on polishing the final product of what we do. It's one of the biggest challenges of working in custom integration with so much growth, so much change all the time is making sure that your team can put together something that when someone walks in to use, works every single time without question. So talk about custom integration. I mean, what's that, what's that look like for people not familiar you know, with the space, what are the, the core tenants or, you know, what kind of work do you guys do? Sure. Uh, it mostly consists of audio, video, lighting control, motorized shade, security surveillance, basically anything that would go into a house or building with low voltage wire that wouldn't be handled by another trade. So we have our specialties of, of those core uh, groups, but we also have an unofficial expectation that we are the People who can figure out a weird question when somebody comes to the builder, to the general contractor, or, or anyone, and is trying to accomplish something that hasn't really been done before, or that no one else knows how to do, we figure out how to do it, and we make it happen. So there's so much chatter in the news. You know, it's Christmas time, right? People are buying Google Homes and Alexas and all these things. Like, how's this bump up against what you would hear, you know, in the news as, you know, smart home? Um, Mm-hmm. Where's it fit in with all that? Because you know, there's on our side, there's a lot of software that that goes into that, and app development, and you know, all these things that people want to control their house from, you know, their iPhone. How's this all fit together in your world? I think it's really interesting to uh, to compare and contrast what you think of when you see in the news talking about a smart home versus the reality of what it takes to go in and what's actually going in. Because we're we're doing voice control a lot, we're doing heavy control systems. But one of the um, one of the biggest misconceptions is that we are on the very cutting edge of technology. The reason that we're not is because we're designing and building things that go on to become part of a house or part of a building. And the most important thing, again, as I brought up before, is that it works every single time. So 
where we are is on the line of, of the cutting edge of what works every single time. What we, what we can test and verify goes in all the time. So voice control, for example, is, is super cool. I'm really excited about it. And we're watching it heavily and we're testing it with, with all the manufacturers and, and people who are, are developing it. But we haven't seen it go in, in professional installs very much because it's just not quite there. It's not quite intuitive. Right. So you want to have the things like, uh, you know, hey, Google, turn my lights on or whatever. You know, ultimately you want it to work. But right now it's not a stable solution that you literally build into structure. You know, you don't make that like your Google Home AI yet. You hope that the interface is exposed later so that you can do that mm-hmm. without tearing your house down, I guess. Does that does that come up a lot? Or oh, absolutely. For that stuff? So, yeah, so our, our, we have a primary responsibility to design these things as much as possible to be, if not future-proof, uh, future-resistant. So even when voice control comes along, the most effective way we'll be able to implement it is layering it on top of other control systems. It's extremely powerful on its own, and you can use it to control lights right now. You can use it to control music, but to do the more interesting stuff, opening doors, knowing what you're doing, uh, all that, you'll want to have that strong background of a control system and, and a system that's designed to work independently of it as well. So what's a control system look like? Are we talking about a bunch of computers in a closet now? Or, you know, what, what happens in a, a home that is trying to, to use these things? Like, what's the actual control system? Pretty much. Yeah, so, I mean, it's usually one main, one main computer that's, that's uh, controlling the overall systems. The most robust way to handle this stuff is to have each individual subsystem, say you have motorized shades in a residence, say you have audio distribution through a residence, you want all of that to work independently so that the control system can tell that what to do. But you never want to be in a position where a computer dies and you can't push a button to turn a light on. Does that happen sometimes where you you have trouble integrating all those things or is this a pretty common type of problem now? It's, it can happen. It can happen if you don't think about it ahead of time and it's easy to fall into that trap. We're fortunate to be in a particularly difficult place to do the basic stuff because power can be inconsistent and internet connectivity can be inconsistent. So built into the, the DNA of SAV is creating these things to be robust, to be bomb proof because you never know what's going to happen and you don't have much control over the exterior circumstances working on a mountain in Montana. You know, we work with tons of software engineers and entrepreneurs that are always looking for interesting projects and to get involved in the next thing there. What do you see on the software side for these control systems and integration points and all that? You know, is there any unaddressed or poorly addressed area uh, where might somebody spend their time and investment to, you know, get involved with maybe some opportunities for, for business there? Oh, there's a few places. I think the biggest thing to keep an eye on is, is network security. And in general security, it's people have been able to rely for so long on just expecting not to be noticed if you have holes in your network, if you have place vulnerabilities, and you can't rely on that anymore. And it's been a learning process, and it's been an adjusting process for the whole industry. Say so we have a, 
a huge responsibility to the clients. We're, we're not just putting in networks as a backbone for these systems so they can communicate. We're also responsible for the security of them and for the security of all the everything else that's going to be on that network because it's not just our stuff that's going to be attached to that once once that that system gets turned over. It's going to be anybody with the password. Yeah, security and IoT and uh, you know, sort of hijack devices and the idea that that your refrigerator can hear everything that you're doing. I think there's a lot of like, you know, sort of crazy looks at the Internet of Things that um, now we re- we need to realize that every device has an IP address and and it's connected and that's cool and it's neat that your pantry can order new stuff when you run out or whatever happens, um, but you have the obligation then to um, to harden that network and each device on there. And uh, you can no longer, you know, just install a Linux virtual machine on, on your router and, you know, set it and forget it because that thing is going to get probed exactly. and hacked, you know, every minute of every day. Yeah, awesome. and thinking about how you man maintain updates and security updates to hundreds and hundreds of networks that belong to other people that you've handed off to other people. It requires a a much more hand-in-hand relationship with clients now than it used to because, as you said, you can't set and forget. Yeah, do you guys have to... You have a responsibility to the expert. Do you have to take responsibility for updating the firmware on all these devices once they're in somebody's house? Is there any kind of service contract relationship? Because, I mean, a regular homeowner would never be able to keep up with all this stuff. If my my shades are internet connected, you know, there's a firmware update or how do you, how do you deal with the, the ongoing maintenance and service of a system like that? So it's, it's absolutely a, a service contract and a, and a ongoing personal relationship all the time. So what I do, my primary responsibility here is, is the upfront design is setting standards, maintaining standards and, and designing these jobs so that they're future proof, bomb proof, and they work the way you want them to. And then, as a company, we're also responsible for maintaining service, keeping in touch, and especially on the side of network, especially on the side of surveillance and security and access control, where when if things were to go wrong, if you don't stay on top of that, you could have actual serious repercussions. It's one thing for your music not to play. It's another thing for your cameras not to be secure anymore. Or like if all your doors unlock or something at the same time, right? Exactly, exactly. It's very interesting. Um, Let me ask you this. So we're in the business of evaluating, you know, really excellent engineers. Now we work in the software space, but I think, you know, a cross-disciplinary approach of thinking about engineering from, you know, mechanical and and systems and integration. Uh, What do you look for when you're thinking about, hey, you know, what's a really great engineer? What are the heuristics or the, the traits of an excellent engineer that you want to work with? So I've actually, I've changed, my answer to that has changed if you'd asked me a few years ago versus today, especially when I first started managing engineers, my highest priority was technical expertise. And I love working with people who are the best at what they do, who know the most, who, who can bring that, the experience and the understanding and uh, can answer the kind of questions that no one else can answer. Um, that said, at this point, my primary, uh, my most important factor is, is being a team player, is, is being able to work with the people around you, being willing to take responsibility. And it's, it's all about the soft skills. And you learn that when, especially in school as an engineer, and 
people don't take it as seriously as they should until they're in the workforce, until they're working with other people. And it's great if you know everything, but it doesn't help anyone knowing everything if you're not good at communicating that, if you're not good at taking responsibility, and if you, and then unless you're the kind of person who have, who people want to work with, can say better myself. Well, Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Really uh, enjoy the insights, and uh, I, I know personally I'm looking forward to when my home can do all these things. So please go and make this as affordable as possible. I'll do that. Thank you very much, David. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.